Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Resolve your errors and minutes into deployable confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to Rollbar.com slash Changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Hello, and welcome back to another week of JS Party, where every week we are throwing a party about JavaScript and the web. I am your MC this week, K-Ball, and I am joined today by a special guest, Jason Langstorff, human duct tape at Gatsby. Hello. Jason, thank you so much for, for joining us. I know uh, you threw a tweet up yesterday at some point saying, hey, anybody want to talk about Gatsby on your podcast? And we jumped all over that. Um, so I appreciate your uh, being willing to respond quite so quickly. Um, yeah, of course. I was, I was super flattered by the response there. Yeah. Well, Gatsby is a really cool project. The Gatsby is something that you know I've been having my eye on. The next time I have a static site that I need to build, I definitely want to pull it in. And I've played with it, but I haven't done any sort of production work yet. Um, so I'm excited to get the insider's view of like what should I be doing as I do this more. Um, but shall we start maybe by giving an overview uh, for anyone who hasn't heard, like what is Gatsby? How does it work? Um, how is it laid out and, and all of that? So the the elevator pitch for Gatsby is it is a uh, a tool or framework or a platform, depending on who you ask, that will allow you to very quickly build um, progressive web apps that are served as static assets. So you can pull in data from anywhere on the web, any API, data source, the file system, your Excel sheets, whatever you want. And inside, you work with React and GraphQL. We pull all those data sources into a GraphQL data layer to build out your pages and various things. And when you build it, it compiles down to static assets, which you can then host on any CDN. So Netlify or AWS, whatever you want. And that is then highly optimized. We do a bunch of performance optimization under the hood. We do code splitting. We do um, everything we can to make it just very, very fast. And once it hits the browser, it rehydrates into a fully functional React app. So you can do anything that you could do in any traditional single page app, but you get all those benefits of SEO uh, that you would get from doing server side rendering without the hassle of having to manage, you know, scaling servers or, or dealing with, uh, with production databases. It's just uh, static assets, which means that you can deploy it, forget it. It's not going to go down because there's no server to go down. I mean, provided your CDN doesn't go down, but that's pretty unlikely. Yeah, so Gatsby is really interesting because to me because you're sort of pushing the edge of what does a static site mean, right? Because you're talking about sourcing mm -hmm. data from all sorts of things, and I, you know, there's adapters for pulling. I guess they're called plugins, but for pulling data from 
WordPress or pulling data from e-commerce sites or pulling data from all these things that traditionally we wouldn't think of as static, but you package mm-hmm. them all up and go. Yeah, that's the plan. You know, we uh, there's a big push right now in the the content management world to to create what are called headless CMSs. Um, what that means in practice is like WordPress has an admin interface where you would go to edit your posts or create new things or, or whatever. Um, and traditionally, you would have to like use the WordPress front end. But when WordPress uh, created like a headless mode when they exposed an API, which means that any any code can make a, an API call against your WordPress site and pull that content out and then do whatever you want with it. So you can pull it into you know, JavaScript templates, which is what we're doing with, with Gatsby. We, uh, we make a query to the WordPress API, pull in that data into our GraphQL layer, and then you just write React components using that data. Um, and that's true of a whole lot of CMSs now. You can, you know, Shopify and I think Big Commerce just did it. Magento's working on it. So all the, the big e-commerce players are exposing headless CMSs, um, WordPress, Drupal, Ghost, uh, a bun- and there's a whole like crop of, of CMS startups that are only headless. Um, things like Sanity.io that all they do is expose this really good editing interface and they leave the the front-end implementation, the UI implementation, as an exercise for the user. And that means that they're driving a lot of people toward Gatsby because we we kind of do that by default. We take a lot of the work out of using headless CMSs in a headless way. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we have this big picture. Okay, Gatsby is a way of transforming these CMS data into static sites. Like, how does that actually work? What's the process for going from, say, I have data in a WordPress uh, instance or in a headless CMS, how does that mm-hmm. then get, you know, how do I set things up? What do I need to do? What's my development process? And and what are the concepts I need to understand to make all this work? Okay, so from a developer standpoint, what you would do is you create your new Gatsby site. Um, Gatsby has a CLI, so you can just, you know, NPM install global Gatsby CLI. And then you would type Gatsby new and the name of your site. And if you like, you can choose a starter. If you don't choose a starter, we'll use our default. And from there, you're going to get um, a source folder. It's got some pages. If you want, you don't have to use the GraphQL layer at all. You can just go into pages, write some content, and when you build, it'll go up and, and be live. If you want to use the data layer, you go into gatsbyconfig.js, and you can install one or more plugins. So one of the things that's most exciting about Gatsby to me is that you don't have to choose a single CMS. Uh, for example, you could, say, uh, build a website that's going to be a blog and a shopping cart, and you would install the Gatsby source um, Sanity, for example, for your blog, and configure that with your API keys, and then that adds a, a query to the, the GraphQL data layer that would be like all Sanity blog. And then underneath that, you can get the title and the content and, and all those good things that you can then use inside of your, your React templates. Um, then to get your, your shopping stuff, you would install the Gatsby source Shopify, and that would give you a list of your products, uh, and a query where you can say like all Shopify product and get all of the, the Shopify data. And you can use that in the same template as the, the blog stuff if you wanted, or you could do completely separate. And, you know, from the, the standpoint of the developers, they never actually see the data queries. They don't have to deal with setting up. Axios or, or uh, a GraphQL server or anything like that. They just say, all right, this is the query that has the data that I want. And you can open up, um, Gatsby has a development mode where you can make GraphQL queries in the browser. So you can just open up the, the, the GraphQL playground in, uh, in your browser, 
type in the query until you get the data that you need, copy paste that into your React template, and then you get a data prop on the React component that you can just use. And the data's there, excuse me, the, the data's there, you can do whatever you want with it. And uh, you, you know, as a, a front-end developer, that stays exactly the same no matter where your data comes from, whether it's coming from a local JSON file, uh, from a markdown file that's in a, a folder somewhere, or whether it's coming from a headless CMS. So it's, wow. So this is like, basically, you're creating a mashup on steroids, right? Like you have this layer that just pulls API, you know, deals with all the API stuff, pulls your data from however many places you want, exposes them as a GraphQL server, and then you go. Exactly. And all you have to think about is the GraphQL piece. Yeah, one of the the way that um, Sam Bagwat, our uh, one of our co-founders, puts this, he calls it the content mesh. It's the idea that um, you shouldn't have to use a single data source because that's not how the world works anymore. We have so many software as a service platforms that give us the ability to manage data, like particular types of data, in really, really purpose built ways. You know, it's really nice to use Shopify for managing. Uh, a, a online store like products and inventory, it's terrible to use Shopify as a blog and vice versa for WordPress. It's great to use WordPress for a blog, not so great to try to use it for, um, for e-commerce. Like, the, I mean, WooCommerce is actually pretty good, but they're you, like, these tools were built to do one thing. And in a lot of cases, we end up trying to shoehorn other functionality in because we had to make a trade-off. Um, the content mesh is, is the idea that you don't have to make that trade-off anymore. You can choose data from whatever source makes the most sense for you. So your development team writes all the docs in Markdown because that's, you know, that makes sense to developers. But the content team isn't then forced to use Markdown. Uh, they can use whatever they want to write the, the marketing blog. And that's that's kind of the idea is you, you we want to eliminate this, this idea of trade-offs. You just use the tool that makes the most sense for the job and Gatsby can consume that and make a really nice development experience to, to use that however you want. That is super cool. Does it go both ways? Is there a way to write back out through those GraphQL abstractions? Uh, there's not, no. Gatsby's data layer is, is uh, read-only. Um, okay. You could if you wanted to. Uh, what, we, what we have done is like you can boot up in the, the client-side app of Gatsby something like Apollo Server and then use any type of mutations that you want to, to send data back up. Um, but no, by default, because Gatsby only runs at build time, that GraphQL server isn't actually available when you are viewing the site. It's only available when you're developing. That makes a ton of sense. Um, though it, it, I'm, I'm really like trying to wrap my head around, uh, the kind of boundaries and edges of what we can do in mm. this sort of, you know, pre-compiled world. So if you were to boot up an Apollo server like that, could you point it at the same sets of abstractions so that you're, you know, as a developer, your thinking is still the same, whether you're writing the page that's reading data or writing something to manipulate it. Somebody built a tool that allows you to do that. You can run your your Gatsby development data layer uh, as a an endpoint. We don't support that as a first class thing, but it is something that we're discussing because it it does open up some really interesting possibilities. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. I, I'm getting more and more excited to play with this. Um, so let's let's maybe talk about. You know, when we go through and start building a Gatsby app, I took a look at a few different starter templates and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like you know most much of it feels very much like a React app, right? You have some page components, you have may have layout components, you've got all your subcomponents and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the things that felt differently or or felt you know sort of 
like there might be some new concepts to understand is one, just the way that you break down your data layer. There were three different Mm -hmm. things I saw in terms of like unstructured data, uh, page queries versus static query components, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. this concept of plugins and how they work. Um, And then there's a bunch of Gatsby specific APIs that maybe we can dig into, but let's stay at the conceptual level for a minute. Um, Can you like talk about how those differ from your standard React app that you might already be used to building? Yeah. So um, the the development part of Gatsby is is a node app, and while you're running that node app, you are able to do things like programmatically create pages. And when you programmatically create a page, you're setting a slug for it. So if you wanted to build an about page, you would set the path to like about, and that would create a, a page at your site slash about. You then choose a component for that, which would be whatever React component you want to be the the page level template for your about page. And at that point, you can just, like, it could just be that. You could just pass in that component, and that component would have hard-coded text of, like, you know, hi, I'm Jason, this is my website. Or you can set a context object on that uh, create page call and pass in, like, a title, some content, um, a, maybe a last edited date, whatever you want you can put into that, that context object. Um, then... That would be the idea of unstructured data. So you're basically saying, here's an object of whatever I want passed into this context object. And I can use that as the, uh, there's an, a prop that will automatically apply to the component called page context. That gives you the ability to, um, to kind of create pages dynamically. Like if you had a, uh, an object of, or a, an array of three objects you could loop through that array of three objects and create pages for each one and pass in the whole object as context. And that would be kind of like building yourself a little little database because each page would render with the custom content that you put into the context. Um, going a step further, what you're able to do is with, um, with GraphQL, we put data into the data layer and then um, you're able to execute a GraphQL query and anything that goes into that context becomes available as a variable for the GraphQL query. So typically what you'll see is you'll create the page and the context that you send through is like a page ID or a page slug or something that's uniquely identifiable for that node. And then in the component, you make a query for the data. And the reason that this is really handy is that rather than having this node file that kind of sits off to the side, and then you have a React template that gets magic data in page context, you now have a, um, a query that describes exactly what data is going to show up. And the result of that query gets added to the component as a data prop. So it's a little more clear where the data is coming from. And the step beyond that is that for a, a data source, like a, a plugin, you use the APIs that um, the the APIs that you talked about, like the the node API for source nodes is what it's called. And what that does is you're able to make a query to anything, a REST API. You take the result and you loop through it, and then you can create in the data layer custom nodes. So for example, for, uh, for Markdown, we use a transformer called Remark. And uh, Remark creates nodes that are called uh, Markdown Remark. When it creates those nodes, we generate new queries, one for all Markdown Remark and one for Markdown Remark. You can filter by the front matter or other fields on the, the object and get exactly what you want. So basically, we, we start with just this ability to pass like exacting data. 
I'm going to pass you a context of title equals my blog. Um, and then you can further and further abstract that until you're basically building dynamic data sets from third-party APIs. Does, it, does that make sense? I've, I kind of went fast. Um, I'm trying to get my head still around the the like flow of data here. So um, can maybe maybe walk through like step-by-step step what happens first. So Gatsby boots up in its build and it's running a node yes. app. Like, yes, what does it, what is the sequence then? Does it, you know, go through its different plugins? Does it hit different hooks? Does it like, how do, how do we get from I'm running build to here's mm-hmm. my pages? So, um, so when Gatsby boots, it loads its plugins from the, the Gatsby config. And then it'll step through each of the APIs in a sequence. The one the, in the d- description that I've given, the first thing that would fire would be source nodes. And so it's going to look at every plugin and in the site itself for source nodes. Okay, so when we talk about APIs here, these are these are hooks that you can pl- the plugins can plug into or you can plug into in your app. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And so it's looking for any any plugin or the site that's exposing a hook called source nodes. If you're exporting source nodes from your Gatsby node.js, then we will execute that at the source nodes phase. Um, at that point, it would say, look at your WordPress site, your WordPress plugin, I mean. And it would pull the plugin config to get the API keys to make the request, make a request to the, the WordPress API, load your posts, and then create nodes in our, our GraphQL data layer based on those posts that came back. And it does this across a, a series of, of, uh, of different axes, like the posts, the authors, the tags, the categories, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those then are available in the data layer after source nodes runs. So when you get to create pages, what you can do is then run uh, a query against those data nodes and say, give me all WordPress posts and get their slug. And then you would uh, loop over all of those WordPress posts and run create page using a template to display your, your posts and probably passing in the context of the, uh, the WordPress slug. Uh, then that, so that's the, the create pages. So when create page runs, it's going to boot up that template and it's going to extract any queries from that, that template, um, which, you know, there's a, a process for that that's kind of hard to describe, but it's basically you're importing the GraphQL helper from the Gatsby library and describing your, um, your query in the, just in the body. We look mm-hmm. for that, we pull them out, execute the query, and then add a data prop to the component. So then you're able to use the result of that query when the, the component actually builds. And so this is where Gatsby does a little bit of magic because those queries aren't executing on the built site. They're executing at build time because we right. parse the, the abstract syntax tree, the AST. So we'll mm-hmm. take the page, take the component, break it down into an AST, look for queries, pull those out of the file, replace them with data, and then rewrite the file in the, the built format so that the instead of having a query, it's got like a JSON reference to the data that we queried. Right. Interesting. Are you using Babel to do that transformation or are you using your own AST parser? I believe we are using um, we are using Babel for a lot of it. So it's we under the hood, we use Babel and Webpack heavily. Uh, okay. I don't know enough about that process to to intelligently say exactly how we do it. I I messed with it a little bit when I was making a remark plugin. I think it's Babel. Got it. Okay. So let me play back just to make sure that I understand. So uh, step one is you're going through this concept of source nodes, which is basically saying, Mm -hmm. let's 
utilize anything we've defined in our site or anything a plugin is, has defined to gather up data and create this GraphQL uh, database, essentially, and all the nodes mm -hmm. within it. Then we go through this concept of source pages, which could be, you know, have manual code, it could have iterations, it could depend on that data, does stuff to basically say, here's all the pages we want to generate. Um, and then for each page, go through, parse it, figure out what data needs to be loaded for it, and then mm -hmm. put that data into a prop and render with React. Exactly. Cool. I like it. Uh, ah, that's so cool. <laughs> this is, that's really cool. No, I love, I love uh, you know, Long-time listeners may know I'm I'm fascinated by the concept of using Babel and um, to create more specialized use cases and specialized languages. Like it's so much more than just here. Let me use modern JavaScript. And so what you're doing here of saying, hey, we're going to take this thing, we're going to use the fact that we understand it as a programmatic construct pre-render mm -hmm. to pre-populate all that data and then go like ah, this stuff is so cool. I love it. Cool. So before we close out this segment, as we're talking about this sort of overview of Gatsby, um, you, we talked about the different hooks that are available. And I saw, you know, in a Gatsby template, um, there's mm -hmm. sort of three common files for inserting those hooks or, or configuration. And there's Gatsby config, Gatsby node, and Gatsby browser. Can you maybe and just talk Gatsby a little SSR. bit about... Oh, and Gatsby SSR. Okay. Missed one. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what types of things go into each of those? So the Gatsby node file is used to um, perform like most of the build time things. So sourcing your nodes, updating your updating your uh, Babel or Webpack config because we do allow you to do you can customize anything you want about the the Babel or Webpack configs. Um, we allow you to do a handful of other things. You can uh, create your pages and. Um, there are other hooks that I'm not recalling right now, but it's all kind of related to the the data layer and to creating pages or just straight up modifying the way that your site builds. In Gatsby browser, you're able to execute things on the uh, the client side. So, for example, the way that Gatsby serves pages, we have that source pages folder. We use Reach Router under the hood, and each um, page is considered a route. So when you move between pages, you're unmounting and remounting that uh, the next page. And that's great most of the time. Where it becomes a problem is if you have like page transitions or something, you would need to have a, a component that doesn't unmount. So we have mm -hmm. some APIs in there to wrap the root element or to wrap the page element if you wanted to apply global styles to every page or something like that. There, you know, there are a handful of APIs in there for that. Um, Server-side rendering, the Gatsby SSR, is the same thing, but what we use during SSR. And the reason they're not, it's not just the same between browser and SSR, well, often they are. Like in, in a, a lot of cases, they are gonna be like exactly the same thing. But um, there are cases where it wouldn't be. So if you're doing something in the browser that relies on the window object, for example, right. that's not gonna be present in server-side rendering, so it would break. So we split the APIs so that you're able to do something on the browser that would break an SSR without any kind of gnarly workarounds. And oh, and then the the config file I forgot. So the config file allows you to set um, we call it site metadata. So this would be global stuff. Your your default SEO description and title. Um, if you wanted to have like your categories globally defined, any any sort of data that you want to be available, we put that into the GraphQL data layer so you can query that anywhere on the site. 
Um, it's also where you would configure your plugins, your themes, and there are a couple other options that I, I'm not remembering right now. Um, all of this is is very thoroughly documented. So it, uh, if I'm not making sense, the docs will clear up any any uh, any mysteries. Absolutely, and we will include a link there in our show notes. So if you're listening to this, you can scroll down and get through to that or just search for Gatsby. Before we close this out, are there any other sort of special or magic or convention around like where things live in the file system? Like those, those are sort of magic file names. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw there's a a source folder uh, with standard stuff and a static folder. Um, Are there any other things that, that have sort of magic or conventional meanings? Um, let's see off the top of my head. The only things that are, that have magic meanings in Gatsby, uh, are the, the Gatsby files at the root. Um, the source pages folder is where we look for default routes and the static folder, anything that's in there, we will make available, uh, in the built site without any processing. So if you had an image that you just wanted to make available or like a PDF is a good example, um, you can drop it into the static folder and we'll make it available on the public site. I don't think there's anything else, but I'm, I'm almost positive. There's not any other magic, but I, I, uh, I have been wrong before. All right, cool. Well, let's take a quick break now. And then when we come back, we will be talking about more of the, the process for me as a developer mindset wise. Like if I'm coming into a Gatsby project, you know, if you're someone who's built a number of Gatsby projects, like how do you approach it? How do you think about it? What are the different pieces and, and that sort of thing? So we kind of did the, the high level architecture. Now we're going to get into what it feels like working on it. But first, a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI/CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com changelog. Again, linode.com changelog. All right, let's jump back into it then. Um, so Jason, can you maybe talk through uh, when you start a project, you know, when you're, you're going in, like, how do you think about it? Do you start from the data layer? Do you start from the design? Like, what are the different things that you, you do to, to kick off? We talked a little bit about starter templates, but maybe you could talk about like what all is included in those um, or themes or any of these other pieces. Yeah. So the process for Gatsby sites is uh, one of the reasons that I'm so attracted to it as a, a tool is that it cuts out a lot of the ceremony required to start a new project. Um, so what I what I kind of like about it is I, I'm able to just look at what I need to accomplish. And then usually you can just assemble, you know, a handful of plugins and get the thing that you want. And the next thing that we're working on is this idea of themes. So themes are going to be a really big deal because uh, with a with a theme installed, you're actually able to have just 
a gatsbyconfig.js and a folder full of like markdown posts. Or if you were using WordPress, literally just a Gatsby config would be all you would need and it would build the whole site for you. So um, that's that's something we can dig into a little bit if you want to. Uh, but in the, the general sense, you know, when you're when you're looking at building a Gatsby site, the you're able to look at like what data do I have and what do I want to accomplish? And then you're you can just start writing React components. And you can do that from a, a design standpoint, like you could take a, a design and break it down into React components and then load those up with data. You could do it from a data uh, data standpoint and make your queries and get the data dumped on screen in a pre-tag, which is, that's that's kind of my default, is make sure that I have the data available and then start grabbing out chunks of the, the JSON stringify dump and, uh, and making it into components. Um, mm-hmm. But you can take it from whichever direction you want because it's it's so, the the effort required to get the site up and building and in a browser and live reloading, you can do that once you have the Gatsby CLI installed in like, you know, 30 seconds, you can have a, a site up and running at localhost in your browser. Um, and to edit those components, it, it live reloads while you're building. So you can make an edit, save it, see it live kind of instantly. Um, so your, your ramp up time is really, really low. And that's something that we find super exciting. So, you know, you're, you're able to, uh, to do quite a bit with very little boilerplate or mental overhead. You're like, oh, I want that data, install the plugin, here's the API key, let's rock. Um, and I, that, you know, that was kind of what attracted me to Gatsby in the first place. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the distinction between a theme and a plugin. So does a plugin, is that just data or do, can plugins also provide you know, pre-created pages or things like that? Yeah, so this is it's kind of a murky distinction because they're they're technically able to do a lot of the same things. The major distinction between a theme and a plugin is that a theme has a, a composable configuration. So um, this is a kind of it's like should I talk about what composition means in like functional programming terms? Um, worth doing a quick description. Yeah. Okay. So the, the general idea is that like if you have um, a function that takes like a, an, you know any value and creates another uh, another value, add, so add two, um, you would be able to put any number into that, put the eight in, you get the number 10 back. Uh, and then if you had another function which would double it, so whatever the number is times two, then you could either call those in sequence, like call one, then call the next. Or if you use composition, you could just turn them into a super function, add two and double. Um, and what we're trying to do with, with Gatsby themes is make that possible for websites. And how that works is that the, the theme config is exactly the same as a site config with the exception of being able to accept options. So you can configure it and you can build an entire site as a theme. So a whole blog, with the data sources configured and all the pages pre-built and, and everything that you would need. And the only thing that's required would be a, uh, a config for the, the data source. And if you were using something like Markdown, you don't even need that. You could just like install the theme. Um, and in and of itself, that's pretty cool. That's, it's similar to WordPress where you, you install a theme and you've got a site and you don't have to do much other than edit your content. And that is cool. But where we take this a step further, is that you're actually able to combine multiple themes, so you can compile, uh, you can compose them right, vertically. Right, right, right. Where yes, you, yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing where this is going. Yeah, this is cool. Okay, 
So yeah, so you're able to do like, uh, you know, a data theme that just sets up some base components and then have a whole bunch of style themes that would style those components, but they know the data is going to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. But where it really gets exciting is when you go horizontal, because then you could take a blog theme and a a commerce theme and install both of them and get a blog and a shopping cart both installed without having to find somebody who'd built a theme that does both for you. Um, And, you know, you can add tons of these. So it's a really, really powerful model that we're extremely excited about. If you have something like that, at what is that something that you can configure only to the extent that the theme developer has set it up? So like I'm thinking about if I had a blog and a shopping cart theme and I wanted to integrate those horizontally, like I'd want to make sure they weren't mm-hmm. having colliding paths, right? And I might want to put one in a subdirectory or something like that. Like is that something that the theme developer has to account for or something that, you know, you as you install a theme can say, hey, put this theme in and sub, you know, put it under this prefix or something like that. We're still working out what the the conventions are for that. Themes are are still pretty early days. Right now for the paths, the theme developer would need to make that configurable. Um, but you know, the the process of doing it would be reasonably straightforward. Uh the the part that we've considered and that's that's working now that we're really excited about is this concept of component shadowing. So um, a concept that I've been talking a lot about lately is one that uh, Chris Biscardi, who's kind of led the charge on themes, introduced to me called the progressive disclosure of complexity. And the the general idea here is that like, in a lot of cases, you either get zero config or all the config, where you can use something like create React app and it's wonderful and then you hit an edge case and you you need to eject and suddenly, once you eject, it's like everything is yours to deal with now. And what we're looking for is this idea that, well, you should only like selectively object, uh, eject things. When you want to modify something, you should be able to just modify the piece that you need to change. So you can kind of selectively choose the complexity that you want to introduce into your app. So what we're, what we're doing with component shadowing is you can go anywhere into the source folder of a theme and declare a, uh, a component in your your site that will override or shadow that theme component. And um, so that would mean that if you had a, a blog component that has a header and that header component is uh, is not the way you'd want it to be, you could just go into your site and do like source the theme name and component slash header and rewrite it, do whatever you want with it. And in the, the theme, when it renders, it will use that shadowed component and give it the same props that it would have gotten if it were uh, if it were in the theme itself. So this allows you to selectively eject components that you want to change without having to inherit the entire complexity of the theme. So you can still get upstream updates, which we think is really, really like to me, that's the game changer. Yeah. No, I remember um, Vue CLI switched from a, an eject based Webpack config to one that lets uses Webpack Compose or whatever it is to let you extend, and it mm. just like totally. Uh, transformed the process of using it and made it so much easier to you know, customize little bits. Um, yeah. And this sounds very similar in terms of components. So just to make sure that, that I'm understanding, essentially you'd have a new set of magic path names where if you have a folder that is the same name as the theme and you match the paths, the theme is going to look in there first and say, is there a component for the one I'm trying to render? If so, use that instead of this other one. Yes. And we, we set it up to avoid collision. So you have to very deliberately set up uh, in your source folder, a folder with the name of the theme and then a matching path underneath it. So if your, your theme has like source components header, you would need in your site, a source 
theme name components header. Uh, and so it's it very difficult to accidentally collide using that that structure. This may be going a little off in the weeds, but is there a way to reference back to the original component? Like what if, for example, I want to sub in a header, but only on some pages? You know, can I have a header component that shadows that does basically an if else, if in these pages do this component, otherwise go back to the original? Yeah, um, we are ironing the the last of the bugs out of it, but if the the shadowed component imports itself from the theme, we don't shadow that. So you would be able to uh, import uh-huh, the, uh-huh. the theme yep, component yep, yep. and then re-export it. Very nice, very nice. Okay, well, so what's the timeline on this? Like, themes sound awesome, but what I'm hearing is we're still we're still doing things. Well, so where it's at now is that the the happy path is stable and usable. Um, it is under an experimental flag in the, the Gatsby config, so it's double underscore experimental themes, and then you provide an array of theme packages. Um, we have a, a, a little bit of documentation up. We have some blog posts that walk through it. I've got a couple live streams in my uh, on my YouTube channel that walk through setting them up and using them. Um, so it's definitely in the like early adopter phase, but we've got people at, uh, at like big companies who are using themes in production because it solves so many problems of working with teams, um, mm-hmm. kind of the same way mm-hmm. that NPM allows you to package up common functionality teams that are publishing like 15 versions of the same website across different, uh, locales, they're able to just like package up the common stuff in a theme and then ship it out to their local teams. And then those teams only have to write the custom stuff instead of having to, you know, adhere to a style guide uh, through completely custom builds. Um, so we're, we're already seeing it in production and we are like I use it in production on my blog and the the stability is really good. It's uh, it's just when you get into the really advanced stuff, if you start doing some gymnastics, you'll you might find an edge case. Gotcha. couple more questions about this kind of the process going into these. So uh, it seems like a lot of the guts of these knock on wood is going to be wrapped up in plugins and themes Um, Mm -hmm. if you run into something that isn't covered by one of those like say i need to write a new plugin what's the process Mm -hmm. for that can i develop it inside of my site project or do i have to have it as a separate package that i'm importing or like how does all that work we have a um we have an ability to to develop local plugins. You can create a plugins folder. Ah, so this is another magic thing. If you have a plugins folder, then we will look inside of that for uh for plugins that you attempt to resolve. So if you create a slash plugin slash, you know, Gatsby plugin my custom stuff, and then in your Gatsby config you put my you know Gatsby plugin my custom stuff into the the plugins array, we will look in that plugins folder. So you're able to do uh, local development there. We would encourage you not to um, because the, I mean like, well, actually let me rephrase that. If it's something that would be shareable, like you're, you're building something for a, a public data source or an API that you expose publicly, we would love it if you expose that to the community because then we get the, the shared advantage of everybody being able to maintain it. Um, however, we obviously there are cases where you've just got something internal that you don't necessarily want to have to, stand up a private NPM registry so that you can uh, import your own package. Um, and in that case, it's totally acceptable to, to use the, the plugins uh, local folder. But, uh, but yeah, so you can, you can definitely develop locally and then you can publish that out. Another way you could do it would be with Yarn workspaces, but that's a little bit more of a, an advanced use case that probably isn't worth going into here. Um, Google Yarn workspaces if you want to learn more. Sounds good. And then uh, for themes, the same thing? Mm-hmm. 
But themes, uh, themes, you have to use yarn workspaces because we ran into some issues with yarn link that it yarn link is really powerful, but when it hits an edge case, it tends to be an extremely confusing edge case. So we've just kind of abandoned it as a, a solution for themes because there's like peer dependency problems and um, it, it got very tangled very fast. So workspaces are predictably uh, stable. And so if you use a workspace to develop a theme, uh, you can do it all locally, but it resolves as if it was a package, which means that when you um, when you publish it, you don't have to do any special things It just you can just publish it. Cool. And I'm hearing a lot about a lot of yarn from you. So is it possible to use and develop in Gatsby with just NPM or that's not the happy path? The vast majority of development in Gatsby can be done with NPM. Where you start to run into to weird stuff is if you're working on Gatsby core, we use a mono repo. And if you're using, um, and like you could use Lerna with NPM, we have some, well, let me just back that out all the way. Here's what I'll say. If you're building a, a Gatsby site and you're you're just going to be installing plugins and working with them, NPM is wonderful. And that's actually what we recommend in the docs. If you are going to be developing themes or working on Gatsby core, we just use Yarn because we found it to be predictable and it it solves some problems that NPM doesn't, like NPM doesn't have a workspaces feature. And that's one of the reasons that we use Yarn is that it, it kind of overcomes a couple hurdles without external tools. And, and we kind of like that. Awesome. And then um, one last question on the, the sort of dev process. Um, are there any gotchas around adding other component or other sort of JavaScript dependencies that are not Gatsby specific, you know, component libraries, third party libraries of different sorts? Like does developing for Gatsby feel like just react from that perspective or are there gotchas to look out for? For any react library that is compatible with server side rendering, it's just react. If you're using something that relies on the window object, um, it's still just React, but you have to add a little bit of boilerplate to make sure that it doesn't break during server-side rendering. And, and effectively what that means is adding a check for whether or not you're in the browser, which is just uh, if like window is undefined, um, then you can, you'll know that you're not in the browser and you can kind of cancel something. And for packages that, uh, that rely on the, the window, we have a, a a pattern written up in our docs for rerouting them to the null loader during the build phase, the the build phase, so that they don't um, they don't throw errors during the build when they try to access the window. All right, let's take another quick break, and then when we come back, we will talk about future facing stuff, what's coming up, what still needs work, and all those areas. We touched a little bit on it with themes, but I'm excited to dig in more. This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks. The goal of the tool is to take the pain out of test automation and to help with this Gage supports specifications of Markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write, reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier and less code means less time maintaining code. And finally, integrations. Use Gage with your favorite tools and your IDEs and the ecosystem of your choice. Selenium, Sahi Pro, CIC and CD tools like GoCD, Jenkins, Travis, and IDE support for Visual Studio, VS Code, IntelliJ, and more. Head to gage.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try. Again, gage.org slash jsparty.
Okay, welcome back. Let's talk a little bit about the future of Gatsby. Um, so first off, let's kind of start with like where we are now. What still feels hard when you're working on a Gatsby site? Where are the rough edges? What still needs a lot of work? Um, so the pieces that we are currently running up against are like, if you want to build really, really large sites um, and on the order of like 25,000 or more pages, you will run into long build times. And if you don't have high powered uh, build servers, you might get out of memory errors and intermittent failures. And that's a huge pain. So we're working hard on solving that. We're, uh, we're working on a whole broad spectrum of things from parallelizing the builds to uh, implementing like an incremental build algorithm so that we're only rebuilding what actually changed. Um, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. We've also got the the commercial side of the business because Gatsby uh, got venture funding back in uh, the end of 2017, I believe was, or maybe early 2018. Um, Gatsby actually got funding and we are building out a suite of like software as a service. Well, really it's more like infrastructure as a service where we have uh, tools that are going to kind of be custom built for making Gatsby at scale a lot more manageable. Um, so there's, let me, yeah, let me there's dig in a little bit into yeah, actually the first one, because I think that that is a, a concern for a lot of folks is like, when are, you know, is this going to be a performance problem? Am I going to run into stuff? So like you said, you put a number out there of 25,000 pages. Is it uh, sort of a gradual scaling up to that point? Or is there like a cliff that you hit where it suddenly starts having problems? Well, now there's, it's not a cliff. It's, there's a confluence of factors because it's not like, like there are people who are building 25,000 page sites and it's not a problem. The, the challenge is that because all of the API hooks are configurable by every single plugin, each plugin can add a little bit of strain for every page load. And depending on how many of those plugins you're using, how complex your data is, how, uh, how like hardworking your React components are in terms of the, of what strain they put on the server side render. Um, there are so many things that kind of all come together to affect the the build performance, and the, and also there's like network latency. Like if you, for example, if you're using, um, I think WordPress, one of the things that that we will do is we optimize the images. So that means that if you've got a huge WordPress site, we have to download all of those images in order to optimize them. So you've got right. network latency as we download them. We've got uh, latency as we run the uh, the sharp binary to like generate different sizes and resolutions of images. Um, all sorts of, of different factors that kind of chain together. But if your site like had no data layer, you could probably build, I don't know where the limit would be, but I would say it's probably significantly higher um, without any issues at all. So it's, it's going to very much depend on like how much work is the site doing during the build as to where those problems start to surface. And right now things like that image optimization is happening on every build. There's no, not even for that type of stuff. Is there incremental or we, we have caching. So if okay. your um, if your build server is uh, capable of persisting a cache between builds, we will look for assets and, uh, and we won't build them unless they change. So like those sorts of things get much faster after the first build. The um, some of the stuff though we don't we don't cache. It has to get built every time. Got it. And can you kind of give a like when we talk about really long build times? Is this hours? Is this days? Is this I don't know when oh, this no, is going to finish? 
No, it, it, I mean like for a really big site, you might see like 30 minutes to an hour, um, on a lower powered build server, it might be a little bit longer. Um, typically if it goes longer than that, you're probably going to see a timeout. So, um, you know, it's, we, we're, we're pretty much kind of in a, a position where like there's, there's a limit at which you'll probably see issues. Those issues will start to go away, um, in the, fairly near future. Like we, we just did a, a big refactor of our internal build process to use, um, X state, which gives us a much more predictable build process. And we are in the process of refactoring our error handling so that we can get better visibility into where things are going wrong. And that's opening the door for us to do a lot of work on parallelization, which will, uh, really cut down on the, the restrictions there. So you, you know, if you have a, an eight core machine, it'll be eight times faster than a single core machine. I mean, it's obviously not going to be that linear, but we're, uh, we're working toward that where, you know, you can split your builds up on and just like add a slightly more powerful machine to cut that build time down by quite a bit. Um, you know, those are, those are all things that they're on our radar and that we have active, like full-time resources dedicated to, to, to solve. So it's a problem now, but it won't be for long. That makes sense. I am personally fascinated by, you know, the sort of balance you're running as a venture backed company with the open source stuff. But I think you actually went into that in a great deal on a changelog episode. Uh, so I don't want to, to replay all of that. Um, one question I would put out there right now is like, what are the services currently being offered and mm -hmm. are there any particular ones coming up very soon that, you know, folks might pay for that would really help, uh, them with their sites? Yeah. So right now we have in, um, in a beta, our Gatsby preview service, which is for, um, hooking into contentful as a first class integration right now, we're working on, on lots more any marketer or not like somebody who doesn't want to deal with code effectively is able to go in and make changes to their CMS. And those changes are reflected live on a, uh, a private URL where they're able to see those changes in, in real time on the actual website. So they can kind of review things. They can send that around for, for feedback and invite their team to collaborate on it. Um, that's uh, a way to kind of take the burden of, non-developers using Gatsby off the table so that it, it actually is viable for teams. That's our, that was our, our primary goal was like, how do you use Gatsby as a, a production service with, if you don't have all developers on your team? Um, so preview solves that problem. And then the next thing that we're working on is we're working in a lot of directions. Like, you know, like I said, we, we've got some ideas around building where we want to be able to, for these really big sites, we want people to be able to build them on infrastructure that's specially tuned for that so that your sites build super fast. Um, we are also thinking of just a, a handful of other things. Like we would love to get to the place where we can do um, like testing because Gatsby sites are relatively predictable under the hood. We can do a lot of static analysis and give really custom feedback on what you're doing with your site. So maybe maybe we can talk to you about your performance or your accessibility and flag things that you could change that will make huge impacts. Um, I would love to see, like a lot of this stuff is just in the very early exploratory phase because we're all, all hands on preview at the moment. Um, but right. yeah, so I, I would say like build is the next thing that's really gonna happen is, is the ability to build Gatsby sites uh, that are beyond the scale of like what an average build server is gonna, is gonna handle. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit on uh, 
sort of how far we can take things like Gatsby and the Jamstack, right? So like, I feel like right mm -hmm. now, we went through this, an era where static sites were all just content-based sites, right? You, that were the first generation of, of SSGs was, or static site generators was like, I'm going to build my blog statically. Um, mm -hmm. And now we're talking about, well, we've got all these APIs out here in Jamstack and all this other stuff. Like we could do a lot more and kind of push this stuff mm -hmm. out to the edge. Um, and it seems like, one of the big areas that Gatsby seems to be getting some traction is on e-commerce, where there's great data about the importance of speed and performance um, and how that mm -hmm. directly translates to revenue. What are some of the yeah, other like verticals where maybe this hasn't hit, but it really should? And are there areas where you know, this isn't going to make sense and where static site generators are not ever going to really dig into? Um. I think like the the areas where I think there's a, a lot of possibility is around the uh, the idea of like just web apps. So if you're looking at building a um, like a software as a service platform that's got a dashboard and all that kind of stuff, um, at first glance it might seem like it wouldn't make sense to use the Jamstack for that. But but if you think about it, what you're really doing when you use something like Gatsby is you are um, you're limiting a lot of overhead. So you're no longer really on the hook to manage your webpack, your Babel, your DevOps workflow. You're not keeping servers up or trying to manage like sharding databases across multiple like geographic distributions. Like all this stuff just suddenly becomes, we're going to build a site, we're going to drop it into a folder and put it on a CDN and the site will just work everywhere in the world. And it's predictable. Um, because the the Gatsby sites are rehydrating into into React apps, all the stuff that would be behind a um, a user login anyways is like you wouldn't server render that in the first place. Or I guess you could if you were using Next, but like if you could do it on the client side, why not skip that part where you have to keep a server up and running? Um, and so now you can like build your whole front end, your public front end is statically rendered, SEO friendly, all that good stuff. And then once you get through the client route, you're able to just run it like a, a regular user authenticated single page app. Um, that gives you the ability then to effectively do like all of the things you would do in React, uh, including like using the window and all that stuff, because you're no longer in like uh, server side rendering land. And you just get to build the app. You don't have to build the boilerplate for the app. You're not like like I, I, when I was working at IBM before I came to, um, before I came to Gatsby, we had UI teams. And so like one of the teams that I was on, we owned a UI, but in order to run that UI, we were also managing a node microservice, which was an express server that we had to keep running that had, uh, some API proxies that we had to manage. And it was all set up on Kubernetes, which we had to configure. So there was all of this backend boilerplate that we had to deal with as part of writing a front end for an app. If you're doing that with Gatsby, all of that, like the, the Kubernetes goes away, the um, the proxy goes away, the, the express server goes away, it's all gone. You're just able to, we would have just written components in React and push that to a static file and you know not had to think about any of that DevOps overhead. And, uh, and that's where I think the, the power really is. Where I think Gatsby would fall down um, or static sites in general fall down is like things that are public, but update constantly. Um, like Wikipedia, 
would be, I don't think you could do Wikipedia statically because it, it has such an enormous amount of like simultaneous change happening all over the site. And it's, you know, millions of pages or, or whatever it's at now. That would be extraordinarily hard to do statically. I, I think that there, you know, there, theoretically it's possible if you had a really, really solid uh, incremental build algorithm and so on and so forth, you could potentially do it. And like our pipe dream at Gatsby is to figure out a way to to run Wikipedia or a clone of Wikipedia on Gatsby. But realistically, at least in the short term, that's probably not going to happen. So if you've got something like a stock ticker that's updating all of the time and needs to be server renderable and like crawlable by by Google or something, right? you probably wouldn't want to use Gatsby for that. Because you, what you'd end up doing is like rendering an empty box that would then client side mount and do uh, a GraphQL subscription or something. And we, you know, we've done that. We've we've hooked up to Hasura uh, a few weeks ago on my live stream. We did this and set up a GraphQL subscription to pull live data as it came in. Um, but if you needed that to be server side rendered, you wouldn't be able to do that with Gatsby. Can I dig into one one sort of back a little bit into the details of Gatsby on this? Um, so I love this idea that you're talking about of basically having all the the logged in behavior essentially just render on the client so you don't have to worry about you know the fact that you don't have authentication on your static stuff and you know, i assume you're using a, a authentication service like auth zero or firebase or whatever mm-hmm. for that um how do you within gatsby configure all of that like can you still take advantage of the built-in routing or stuff like that or that like how how would i set up an embedded client-side only set of pages and app and would it still feel like Gatsby within that? Yes. So what we do is um, under the hood, Gatsby uses Reach Router. So you're able to, um, you can just use Reach Router as your, your client-side uh, custom routing. And then we have the ability to, uh, to identify a path as dynamic. So you can, um, in the, the Create Pages, I believe it is, you can match the path against... Um, a, a fragment and say like you know if if the patch if the path matches user then uh it's a like flag it as a dynamic page and then what we'll do is we'll we'll render a user template but we won't try to render like sub pages so if you go to like slash user slash account slash settings slash whatever um we won't attempt to render another page we'll just bounce that back to the user template which means that your user template effectively becomes the uh, housing for a a single page app um, and you know, inside of that single page app, you can use Gatsby stuff. You could pull in the the router. You can obviously use the link and um, and all the like the preloading stuff that we do. We're going to continually set up the like the prefetching and the the code splitting and that sort of stuff. You you would probably need to set up uh, a little bit of like you'd probably want to use like React Lazy or or maybe Suspense or something like that to make sure that you're splitting properly. Um, so it's not like Gatsby's not going to do all of your single page app stuff for you, but what it's doing is it's removing all of the other stuff that you would also have to do if you were building that static, that single page app on your own. Right. And so you still have the helpers to link out to static things if you need to, or stuff that's Gatsby generated, you could put Mm -hmm. potentially Gatsby GraphQL data in there, or does that, you would, you would be able to load some of it, but you would need to stand up your own server uh so like for the dynamic stuff you need to be able to query it from somewhere at right, like right, on right. the client side which means that you would need an api to hit and typically what we do for that is like um if you use something like 
Hasura or if you use um, like AWS's uh, Amplify stuff, you uh, what's it called? AppSync. Um, you can consume their API, their, their GraphQL endpoints as part of the build process using Gatsby source GraphQL, which just lets you make a direct query through to AppSync or to, uh, to Hasura or whatever. And then on the client side, you would also just query through to AppSync or Hasura and get and like run your your client side right. queries and, and I guess what I'm wondering is, do you still so if if for example, um, Gatsby is handing off all this stuff to the the client the user template and saying okay that's all client rendered, can I still mm-hmm. prep like that, that user template? Can I put some GraphQL queries and say hey you know what I also want this already static data that I'm going to merge into my dynamic data here. You could absolutely like run a query on the outside of your your user template that queued up something and just pass it through as a data prop that you then have access to. Um, okay, cool. You you couldn't like anything that would need to be queried at client like at runtime though. Um, right. You could right, right. if you if you could predict what would happen, you could run it all ahead of time. That's going to add a little bit of size to your bundle, so you'd want to be mindful of that. Um, right. but you know, you, and anything that you can know you're going to query, you can query at build time and then just pass it through to things. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just wondering how hard or easy it was. Cause yeah, to me, like all these SSGs, it's a, it's about pre-computing, right? It's like, what yes. is the maximum possible set of things that we can pre-compute ahead of time so that we're not right. relying on running that when the user makes the demand. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we're just about out of time, but are there any other kind of things you want to leave us with about Gatsby, the future, um, where this is all going? I mean, I think themes are like the, the thing that we're, that we're most excited about. There's some underlying stuff about GraphQL that we, we didn't really touch on. Like we, we just launched APIs for customizing the schema, the GraphQL schema, which opens up a whole new, uh, wave of really, really powerful possibilities. Um, that's probably a longer conversation than we have time for, but uh, there's a, a blog post about it that is really, really good on the Gatsby blog about schema customization. Um, that's a, a big one. And then, you know, the, the other one is I just, I always want to invite people to, to please get involved in, in open source. Gatsby is working really, really hard to create an incredibly welcoming and open community. And the people who are in our community are just so wonderful. They're, they're helpful. They're friendly. They're inclusive. Um, and we, we really want you to come and, and like get involved. You can make docs contributions. You can make uh, code contributions. We've got a whole section on our blog or on our website about uh, contributing at gatsby.dev slash contribute. If you want to check it out, we'll walk you through the whole process. Um, so yeah, get, get involved. Like come talk to us on Twitter. Come talk to us on, on GitHub. We have a Discord server where we'd love to hear from you and, and love to help you get involved in open source. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jason. And I'm excited about Gatsby. Gatsby is super freaking cool. I have like five different project ideas. I just need to find time to to do it. But it sounds like the amount of time I'll need is smaller than I might think. That's the hope. I mean, we, you know, I have on my live stream every week, we typically try to build an app inside of 90 minutes and we almost always get it done. So it's, uh, it is really fast to get something up and running with Gatsby. That's awesome. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to JS Party, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com community. 
And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. We just have a podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You are today's winner because you stuck in here all the way to the end of the show. Here's another preview of our upcoming show called Brain Science. This podcast is for the curious. We explore the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and the complexities of the human condition. It's hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and my good friend, Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's about brain science applied, not just how the brain works, but how we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives. There we go. One of the things that's fundamental, I would say, to being human is change, right? And so sometimes people come in and are really key in our life for a period of time, and then things change. Either we grow or they grow or they change in a different direction, and then the relationship changes or that feedback loop gets modified in some way. That isn't always a bad thing. It's just going, my sense of choice actually is a critical component when it comes to feeling good about my life. If I feel like everything is sort of outside of me and I don't have any charge over it, like I didn't choose to work (laughs) in a more remote location or I didn't choose to go to school or I didn't choose this person, then it feels far more oppressive as opposed to I actually participated in the outcome that I'm actually experiencing. So I then also have more charge over whether or not I want to change it. I think this uh, feedback loop process that we're talking about here is, is super common to, to developers, you know, from people who write code to people who plan and to engineer and to uh, manage and lead. Like there's no one in the software process that doesn't understand the, the feedback loop. And the reason, the reason why is because in product development, they have this concept of agile. And basically, it means you produce something, you put it out there, and you expect the feedback loop to happen in order to gain insights and course correction to then release another version of it that that continually and iteratively becomes more and more improved. So this whole process in day-to-day work in software is normal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how it can apply to their lives and people's lives, you know, to take the same importance of a feedback loop, for example, and apply it. Right. Well, so this is very much how it goes in relationship, which is why there is an importance when it comes to sort of things resonating. You ever walk into a room or an interaction with a couple other people and like something just feels wonky or off? You're like, I can't put my finger on it. But Definitely been there. <laughs> right. Well, and so to be able to identify that in relationships and even go, wow, I need to, I'm experiencing this person in my world with the limited interactions that I have with them. It hasn't really resonated with me. And so I don't get good feedback. So now I'm going to be more defensive because I feel as though there's a threat. It doesn't necessarily mean the person is threatening. However, my brain is going to tell me, hey, we need to be more protective. We need to do some strategies so that you're not fully exposed. You know, one way I look at scenarios like this, uh, I would say as of late, 
is because have you ever watched a TV show or a movie where the you know the narration, the storytelling part of it, they expose a character in a certain light, and you may dislike that. They may be a villain or villainess, right? Sure. But the moment they turn the story to their backstory and why they are the way they are or why they're acting the way they're acting. Yeah. You then kind of fall in love with them and you're almost rooting for them. Right. I feel like that's the same thing that happens day to day to our lives is that, you know, there are people who seem villainous or not for us, but we don't understand their backstory and why they are the way they are for us to have and employ that empathy that's required to have this, this dance, as you say, this iteration of relationship. You know, we right. we just assume they are who they are and we project, you know, our worst fears onto them and they become right. true. Yes, you got it. This is why in the absence of, you know, a face, I, I don't really get to engage with people in the same sort of humanness that we are all in. And so you're exactly right. I, I mean, over and over and over again, because you can identify and go, oh, that's why they're harsh. Or, you know, I recently had an interaction I had shared with someone that I I was a competitive gymnastics coach for a number of years. And so somebody thought that my response to them when they were really struggling was kind of harsh, but they remembered that I had told them I was a coach for so long. And they're like, oh, this is just another side of her coming out right. and I'm not sure I prefer it, but I get it. And then it switched for their reaction because then they're like, oh wait, we're on the same team. <laughs> She's not trying to like oppress me or fight back against me. She actually is helping me, trying to get me to where I want to go. That's a preview of Brain Science. If you love where we're going with this, send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released. Email us at editors at changelaw.com. In the subject line, put in all caps, Brain Science, with a couple bangs if you're really excited. You can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed. Head to changelaw.com slash master or search in your podcast app for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows, and even those that only hit the master feed. Again, changelaw.com slash master. I want to be remembered for my gourmet line of frozen seafood dinners.